Hi, welcome to our Hot Rod Bible Study. So tonight, we're going to be in uh, 1 John chapter 2 tonight. And so we can go ahead and turn there. What I'll go ahead and do is I'll go ahead and, and read through the... So we're going to be reading uh, verses uh, 1 through 6 tonight. And I'll go through and read the verses, and then we'll go back, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. Um, so here we go. It says, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you, that you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But... Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And so as let's stop there and pray. So Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for this place. We thank you, Lord, that we may gather um, here. Lord, we thank you um, for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we ask, Lord, tonight that you would give us more of a desire, Lord, for your word. Um, knowing, Lord, that no matter what goes on in life, Father, it is your word, Father, that has the answers. And so, Lord, we uh, ask that you would speak once again to us, Lord. Speak into our minds, speak into our hearts. Use us, Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been uh, studying through uh, the book here, it's it's interesting. First John, it's been such a, a loving book. And many of you, I, I love that you've been getting John's theme. It's been the light, that we would be the light to the world. And we had an opportunity here at the Hot Rod Bible Study as we um, we were just getting past the car show. We had an opportunity, each and every one of us, to go out and shine uh, the light of for Jesus Christ. And, you know, what I love about it, there's so many guys that are gathered here that come to the study um, that 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 God is using in a mighty way, and I know many a times when when I speak to you guys, oftentimes you guys say, "Oh well, it's nothing. It's this is just part of what I do." This is no, no. This is the light working in and through you. One of the things that's so interesting about this, that as I think about this, um, that many of us, as we're here, as we look back in our life, and me especially, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Um, one of the things that I can say is, yes, I am not in the area, or I'm not, I have not yet arrived to where I want to be with Christ. I have not arrived there yet. But one of the things that I will tell you is that I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I used to be, where the Lord found me in the gutter, swimming in the toilet bowl of life. That I was swimming out there, and I thought that I had it all together. But one day, a brother, people in my life, they spoke into my life, and I could see that I was far, a lot farther away than I thought I was. And this is the thing about, about serving the Lord, that oftentimes we think that it's, it's areas of our lives that something drastic is going to happen in our lives, and, it, and one day we're going to get up and we're not going to serve the Lord anymore. But this is a thing where we're, we are deceived, because in our lives it's always those subtle things that draw us away. It's those little things in our lives that pretty soon... We wake up one day and we notice, how did we get to where we're at, to where we used to be? 
And so we always need to stay in the word of God. And this is what John has been talking to us about being that light. And he reminded us um, last week as we were studying there uh, verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1, he was reminding us of having that fellowship with God. And this is one of the most amazing things, as I think, as we've been studying, that we do have a relationship with Christ. It's when we accept Christ's gift of salvation that we have that relationship with Christ. But as we walk, we start to have that fellowship. And that fellowship, God wants us to renew it constantly. And one of the things that we learned last week as we got into verse 9, that he says, if we will confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us. This is the heart of God, that if we would confess those things. And we studied this last week, that one of the things that is to, when we confess is that humu logeo, that we would say the same thing that God says, that this is sin, that we have stepped outside the boundaries of what God says is correct for our lives. And one of the things that we see is that's so powerful. And this is one of the things that he is uh, speaking to us about this. And so that we would have fellowship with a holy God. When we confess our sins, we are being made right before God. And it's so powerful that we see that. One of the things that as we, before we get into the study tonight, I'd like to share with you a story about a pastor who was pastoring a church. And one of the things that, that's so amazing is, as a pastor, I can imagine that there's a lot of stresses of a pastor's life that going on with all the congregation and, and all the things that he has to interact with. And not only that, but studying the Word of God, giving um, godly advice to people, giving godly wisdom to others. It, it's such a, a stressful job. And one of the things that, as, as we see that pastors, and we, you know, we have some mighty pastors here at the Packing House, but one of the things we're always reminded of is that their job is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. It's not like when they leave the church that all of a sudden they're no longer, they're not a, a pastor anymore. They're still a pastor and they're still a man of God going out into the world and shining their light. And so one of the things that this pastor is, he's in the congregation. Some of the elders and some of the people in the church, they're bringing a person before them. And this person is living a life of sin. And they're starting to draw it to his attention. And they've been praying for this man. And they've been asked, speaking to him about some of the sin that's going on in his life. Um, it's, it's, it, this man has, has walked so far in sin that they've brought this to the attention of the pastor. And they, they, say, they feel, the elders of the church feel, that it's time for the pastor to ask this man to no longer come to the church. Because the lifestyle he's living is not right before the eyes of God. And so he says that he's blatantly living this lifestyle. And so the pastor reluctantly in his heart, he prays about it and he, the Lord puts this on his heart. And so the man comes before him and he asks him that the lifestyle, if he's going to continue to live this lifestyle, that he is no longer allowed to come into the congregation and be with the brothers. The the man automatically, he denies what the pastor says and he, he automatically says, well, I'll, I'll never come back here again. He reluctantly gets up and he leaves and, 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 the, and the pastor's trying to console him as he's walking out. And he says, brother, I, I'm trying to do what's best for you. And the man was upset and he slammed the door on the pastor and the pastor went away and he, he had some feelings about it, but he kept them to himself. And so this, this, this brother that here was asked to leave the church, he went away, far away from God. And he did this for several years. He walked away from God no longer was serving God. But interestingly enough, and this is why I'm bringing this story tonight, that several years later, that finally the day came that he turned around and he came back to God. And one of the things that's so interesting that he wrote a letter. 
And this is so encouraging to me that he wrote a letter. And this letter, he wrote it to the church. And the pastor was still there. And he wrote this letter and he said that, that you tried to draw or tell me about my sin, but I denied it. And I tried to, to sweep it under the rug and act like it wasn't happening. But I know what you were telling me now. I know it was true. You were telling me the true word of God. You were doing it in love, but I had a heart and bitterness and I was, I didn't see what you were speaking about, but I see now that I'm being drawn back to God. And one of the things that he asked, he says that now that I'm, I've come back to Christ, I want to come back to church. I want to come back to church. And one of the things that was so amazing is, as the, the pastor is, he didn't have to think about it very, very often. And he told the man, he told the man immediately that he was to come back to church, that he would be welcomed. Um, but he was sharing this with the elders and the people in their meeting that they had, that weekly meeting. And what I love about it, that the elders automatically said, they said, hey, I think we should throw a party. I think we should throw a party for the man as he comes back. And so they decide that they get together and people in the church are working in their minds and they're doing things. And as the man comes back to the church, what happens is that as he comes in, we see that there's somebody in the congregation who bought him a sports coat. And, and then as he comes up and they tell him they have this sport coat for him, he thinks it's a little strange. But the next person comes up and says, we've bought you some new shoes. And he looks at the shoes a little bit. And he, he doesn't know where they're exactly what they're going with it. But this next one really touches his heart when somebody comes up who owned the jewelry store and says, we have bought you a gold ring. And they come and they want to put it on his finger. And they said that we are tonight, we're going to have prime rib dinner. It is because we were so thankful that God has brought you back and God has brought you into the hands of God once again. And And the man could not help but be overwhelmed with emotion. He was overwhelmed with emotion as he feels this welcomeness as God called him back. And this is just such a beautiful picture that we see as he has been brought back into the fellowship with God. This brother had been brought back and he said something that was so interesting as he understood what they were trying to tell him. And he said, what you're telling me is exactly right. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. And these are the things that are, we're going to, as we get into John tonight, these are going to be some of the things that the Lord is speaking to us about tonight. And so let's jump in here and let's get into verse one. And it says um, here, it says, my little children, these things I write to you so that, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. My little children, um, we see that John, right away, he refers to them. In the original, in the Greek, it is the word technia, and it is a term of endearment. It is a term of endearment, and we see something in John, this term of endearment, and it really means, in the original language, it means my little born ones. And I love the way that one commentator put it. He said, he, he put a, a little twist on it, and he said, my little born again ones. And this is the heart that John has. And I think it's so interesting that we know that as John is writing this letter, he's probably anywhere between 85, 95 years old. He's, he's, he's getting to the later part of his life. One of the things that's so interesting about that, that we remember that, that John was called, remember, the sons of thunder, that they wanted to call down fire. They wanted to call brimstone down on the people and, and they wanted to call down. But we see now something in John's life that he has a tender heart for people that he calls them technia, 
my little children. And everybody, because of his age at that time, is probably younger than he is, but he has a love for them. And this is what happens as we spend time with God and as he's been serving the Lord. And one of the things that Pastor Greg spoke about as he was studying this week with Luke 13, and his message was very loud and clear that many of us, that we all have a date on the calendar that we will no longer be here. But one of the things that I think that really came out loudly to me, my message that it came over as I was listening to his message this week, one of the things is, what am I doing with the time that I have left? What am I doing? Am I, am I serving myself? Am I serving my, my, my appetites for my life? Or am I serving the things of God? And we need to understand, and this is really spoke to me as Pastor Greg was, was delivering the message this week. One of the things that really spoke to me is that we should be living for something that is eternal. Because we know that in eternity, that when God brings us into eternity, that it is, as we, we had that rope a couple of weeks ago, it'll be for forever. This life will just be shorter and shorter. And I think many of us, as we get older and older, we can see, and I used to, when people used to tell me, um, when, when, when people used to tell me, hey, um, my, one of my uncles would say, hey, I'm 50 years old. I used to say, wow, that's old. And, and the closer we get to 50, we're like, wow, that's, that's just went by in a blink of an eye. And people always tell you that, right? Older people always tell you that, right? It's going to go by so fast. But we as young people, as young, when I, when I was young, I often say, oh, it's not going to happen to me, right? Goes in this ear, out the other. We don't listen to it. And we say, oh, we got plenty of time. Then we wake up one day and say, where did the time go? Where did it go? But what, what are we doing with the time that we have left? It's so important that we would see what are we doing with the time that we have left? It's powerful that we would see that. So we see the wisdom that, that John has there at the end. But one of the things here also in this verse that we see that he says, my little children, these things that may, that you may not sin. And one of the things that we, we should understand about God is that God cannot accept any kind of sin. He cannot accept any kind of sin. This is what God is telling us here that he is writing to us that we would not sin. And I know many of us, we say, but, but each and every one of us here, we sin every single day. We see, you know, some, some of us, as we get into areas, when I'm in the workplace, sometimes it's by the minute. There's, there's these sins, these things that I'm, the thoughts that I have in my mind towards other people. And so we, you, we wonder what, what these things are, but we have to understand a holy God that this is his standard. His is a standard for us that we would not sin. But we're going to see something in this. But we remember in John 8, um, verses 1 through 11, and you guys are, are, are very, very familiar with the story. It was the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. You guys are all familiar with the story, so I won't go through the whole detail. But what I wanted to share with you with that is that in verse 10, that Jesus said to the woman after, remember, after that they had, all the people had dropped their rocks and they had dropped their stones on the ground, and that we see that, that they were all leaving. And Jesus himself, he asked the woman, he said, where are your, your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And, and, and this is amazing because in verse 11, she says herself, she said, no one, Lord. And he said, I condemn you. I, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And, and this is what the actual of the standard for God is, that, that he would ask us to go out and not sin anymore. But one of the things that we see in this same verse, that we see that God knows that humanly that this is impossible to us because we are not perfected. We have not arrived in our glorified bodies. We haven't went to be with Christ. And so we still have this nature, this sin nature living in us. But one of the things that we, we see in this, as we, as we see in that sin nature, um, we see it says, but if anyone sins in the very next 
or in the very next couple of words here, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. And we see that many of us, we know that we are not perfect, that we are not perfect, that we are not people that, that can say that, hey, we've never sinned. And what's interesting to me, I love about it, that this week, um, that Pastor Greg also said in his message, he said somebody, he said just, he just uh, said, hey, is there anybody here who's never sinned? And I know as a pastor, you're oftentimes you're, you're thinking, well, hopefully nobody raises their hand. And he actually said, he actually said that, hey, nobody should raise their hand because the Bible. And he quoted this verse here in verse five. And he said this message, it says it was heard. He quoted the verse here that said here, I'm sorry, in verse 10, it said, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But interesting, another pastor, he said that, have you, have anyone here, he asked the question in the congregation, he said, have you ever met someone or do you know someone who's never sinned? And they went around and he looked around the room and nobody really raised their hand. And so he was getting ready to go to the next verse. And there was a lady in the back said, hey, I, I seen the man in the back. He raised his hand and he looked over in the back and he said, who? And, and the man had his hand up in the back. And he, and he said, hey, sir, you, you, you say that you know someone or you've seen someone who's never sinned. And he says, well, I've never seen him with my own eyes, but I've heard of him. And he says, well, who is he? He said, I'd like to know who this person is. And he says, it's my wife's first husband. It's my wife's first husband and never sinned because we see that he is a man that he hears all these stories when he missteps that we see that he that, that, that oftentimes that his wife tells him, well, that wasn't how I, I, my first husband did this and did that. And so he's thought that his first husband was perfect. But we see that we are, we are not people who are perfect, that we are people who are flawed. And we know this because there would be no other reason for Jesus Christ to come to save us. What would he be saving us from? He's saving us from sin. And we know this. And so if anyone sins, as he knows, we have this advocate. And this advocate is so interesting because it's the same word as the word in the original language. It's the word parakletos. And it's also used in John. It's actually, he refers to it. And it's in John 14, 18. And it's called about the paraclete. Remember that Jesus himself he used the same exact word, the paraclete, and many times they, they re, uh, the translations, different translators, they call him the helper, the comforter. Um, they, they, they refer to him as many different names. But one of the things that, that they were speaking about when Jesus was speaking about uh, this paraclete that was coming, he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. He was speaking about the Holy Spirit coming. And in 1418, he actually said, I will not leave you orphans. And he was speaking about that, that Jesus Christ would, when he went away and he ascended into heaven, that he would not leave us orphans, that he would send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter to come inside and to dwell in us as we accept Christ, that he would dwell in us and that we would accept that, that dwell indwelling spirit in our hearts. And that, that way we would never be without the love of Christ and that he would be indwelling us. But this, this word, the advocate, it's so powerful that we see this. That it says that this advocate here, um, that the one that Jesus was speaking about, the Holy Spirit. But here in this verse, this advocate is our defense attorney. Is our defense attorney that we have before us. That we see that the helper, that Jesus Christ, as he comes alongside. And this is what the word means, the advocate. It is that as he comes alongside us, that the case, that as we plead a case before the judge. As they plead the case that he would be our defense attorney. And we know that Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and accuses us 
day and night. We see that Satan is the, is the, the prosecutor. But Jesus says, this is what Jesus says, Father, he's one of mine, covered with my blood. And Jesus, and this is what God says, God says, case dismissed. And we see that it is by his blood that we are saved, that we are cleansed by his blood, that all the finished work on the cross that he went and he surrendered his life upon our behalf. And this advocate is our defense attorney that we go before. And what's so interesting about our defense attorney um, is something that we see in him that oftentimes this is a, an area that I, that I see in my life that as uh, many of I shared with many of you, I've shared that I'm on the uh, path to looking for jobs once again. And, and one of the things that I wanted to share with you with that, I oftentimes I'm always reminded and people and many of you guys that if you've ever been looking for any kind of employment, that oftentimes you hear the saying in the employment world, you hear that it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And, and what they're referring to as that is you go in, if you hear a friend or you know somebody that works for some place, that oftentimes you, you ask them like, hey, is your company hiring? Are they, are they looking for someone? And, and if they say that they are, then you kind of ask your friend, can you put in a good word for me? And then this is how it allows people to get employment. And, and oftentimes, and, and, and it's interesting because there's people that have degrees, PhDs, people that are very successful, that have all these different letters behind their names, but they can't get a job because nobody has put in a good word for them and hasn't put them before that this is the reason why they haven't got landed that job that they're looking for. But one of the things as I was thinking about this as I was driving around today, that this is exactly what happens with the Word of God, that God, that our relationship, it is not what we know. We may have numerous PhDs, we may have numerous college degrees, we may have masters, we may have all those things, but it is not what we know, it is who we know. It is who we know. Jesus Christ, that if we will know Jesus. And the thing that's so interesting, I remember when I was doing the hiring for a company that I worked for, and people would come to me and say, hey, my compadre is looking for a job, my friend, my brother, my son, all these people would come to me, and I would tell them, your, your son, your brother, your friend, your compadre, whoever it is, they better not be a bum. We need somebody here that's going to be here every day. We need somebody to work. And I would always lay out the worst case scenario. Is he going to be the one that's going to unload the container when it's 110 degrees outside? And so you would feel. But what I, their employment would be determined upon their performance. But this is the thing that's so amazing to me as I was thinking about this, that we see as we come into that relationship with Christ, it is not dependent upon our performance. It is dependent upon the performance that he the finished work on the cross, that he went up on the cross and surrendered his life upon our behalf. And by that, we're eternally in. So when he comes and becomes our defense attorney and he says, yes, this bike, he is one of mine, that it is, he says that, that even though that he has sinned, that he is, that I have paid the price for him. He paid a penalty that none of us could pay because he loves us. And this is what God's heart is. And as, as we as we share this with you, we know that Second Peter 3, 9 said that his heart is that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. This is the heart of God. And this repentance, Greg spoke about it all as well. I keep on drawing so many things out of his message that one of the things that he spoke about it there in Luke 13, that we would have a change of mind. And this change of mind, oftentimes, this is where it comes from in our minds. It comes, this is where sin comes from. Oftentimes it's an idea that we, we have a thought in our head. And this is the reason why the word of God is so powerful because when we have those thoughts and we start reading the word of God, those thoughts are, are get mixed with the true word of God. 
and then we start to have a defense mechanism that we can fight off those those uh, those, those things that we that tells us that we want to go out and we want to sin. We can we can fight against those things, and so we should continue to do those. And it's so powerful that we see that. So this advocate is also comes who is Jesus Christ, and it says the righteous, and he is righteous. And he's the only one that's righteous. And we have, as us as believers, we have no righteousness. The only righteousness we have is that when we surrender our life, that God, that Jesus Christ, he closed us in his righteousness. He closed us in his righteousness. So when Father God now looks down on us, that he sees that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he was the one that it can be that intercessor that can make uh, intercession for us as we as we do things that we see that advocate that Jesus Christ comes. So here in verse 2 it says, And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the whole world. We see that it is he himself who paid the penalty for our sin, that he is a propitiation. I love the way that the uh, the NLT says that he's the, the paid the sacrifice for our sins. He is the one that paid the sacrifice. And this word, this propitiation, it is a, a big word, but this is what it means. It's a big word that means he took my place. He took your place. He, he, what he did, he, the sentence I deserved, he took. The sentence that we deserved, he took it upon himself as he went to the cross. And this is one of the things that's so powerful that we see that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, that he is the sacrificial lamb that paid for those things. In the original language, um, the word propitiation, and this is very unusual. Oftentimes in the original language, it's so much uh, harder to um, to pronounce than it usually is in English. But this one is actually, it's hills moss that it's actually, that, that it's referred to there in the Greek. It's This is the word for propitiation. It says, but I wanted to draw your attention to for not only for ours, but for the whole world. And I, and I want to, I want to explain something about this that we speak about the world. So there's different churches that use this verse to say that, well, then that means that everybody's saved. Well, everybody's saved because it says here that he died for the sins of the whole world. But see that the thing that I want to draw your attention to tonight as we, we contemplate and we think about these things that one of the things that I want to, wanted to tell you and we want to break down is we know very well, we know the, the verse, the most, uh, um, the most famous verse, right? John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believed, and there is the key word that whoever would believe on Christ, that we would believe. And this is one of the things that I think that's so powerful that if you see that it is a gift, that we have to accept that gift. If I, if each and every one of you here tonight or whoever's here on, online, if I wrapped up a gift in a very nice gift wrap, gift wrap box, and I put a bow on it, it was a very nice gift, and I came and I, I sat it next to you or I sat it on your lap, if you never opened that gift, would you benefit from that gift? You would never benefit from that gift because you never opened it. And this is what we're talking about is, as Christ has died for the sins of the world, that we have to accept that gift. And that gift that we accept, it is, we know that, right, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. That it is if we receiving that gift, that it is by, that we receive that gift of Christ, that we receive and we under, and we understand what he is telling us, that we would understand that he is the God who paid the penalty for our sins, is believing, as he says there in John 3.16, that we would believe on him, that this is how we are, we are saved. And 
one of the things that I'm always reminded of um, here as we see this, that w- there was a Charles Spurgeon, we all know that he is the uh, the, the prince of preachers, um, that he uh, told a story once of a, of a, a duke who boarded a, a prisoner-filled galley ship. And he, he, as he, as this duke, as he got on this galley ship with prisoners, he said he got on there and the very first person that he would come to, he'd say, well, what was the reason that you're here? And he said that every single person that he would interact with this duke would say that he was innocent, that he was not supposed to be on this galley ship, that he was innocent. He hadn't done any of the crimes that they were charging him for and that it was people, the judges that were, had been bribed into allowing them that other that, that it wasn't the person they weren't the ones that committed the crime that it was somebody else and so as this duke went walking around in the ship i love what he did as he was walking around in the ship he said he met a man and this other man said you know what duke he said i'm ac- actually i'm guilty i am here and i am paying for my penalty because of what i did i stole some money and i knew it didn't belong to me and i took it anyway and I tried to get away with it. And then they, when they confronted with me with it, I lied my way out of it. And then they eventually caught up to me. And this is the reason why I'm here. And this duke looked at him. And he said, you scoundrel, why are you here amongst all these innocent men? He said, I am going to give you liberty. And he ordered one of his servants to come and to set him free. And this is what Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us. That he has come if when we confess that we have overstepped that boundary, that line, that sin. That this is when he comes and he and he showers us and he sets us free. That we're no longer bound by sin. He sets us free. He loves us. He, he sets us free. And we're no longer bound to the things of sin. So here in verse 3 it says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The really quick, the, the know that you know it is the word gonoskos, and we went over this before. It is a relational no. It is not a no that we just know about him. It is a relational. And many times, as I want to sh- share with you, and it, as we were speaking about Fred tonight, one of the things that's, as I think that's really been encouraging to me in my life is that oftentimes when storms come in my life, and I know many of you have been praying for me as I go through the, the, the job uh, looking once again, but one of the things that that I that I love that many a times that now that I'm going to rely on what God has done for me in the past. That the one of the things that I'm going to draw from where He's delivered me from in the areas of my life from before, and I'm going to cling to those things, and I'm not going to allow me to be set off course by the things that are going on in my life. That I'm going to cling to what He's done in the past because I can I know for sure that whatever He's done in the past, He will do again. He will do again, and this is a mighty God. This is the God who we serve. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. He loves us the same. And so it's powerful that we see this. And so this is the, that we know, and this commandments here, and I know many of us were thinking, is this? Is he speaking here of the Ten Commandments? Is he speaking of the 613 Jewish commandments that they have in the Mishnah? Is he talking about these six hundred that we must keep these commandments? And I love this because this is uh, this comes from. I'll tell you tonight. This comes from uh, Matthew, uh, chapter twenty-two, uh, verses thirty-four through forty. And I'll just read it to you here quickly. Um, and as we talk about commandments, and it's in verse thirty-four, it starts. It says, "But these, uh, but when these Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, tested him, and saying, "Teacher." Which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law. We see that the the commandment that he is speaking about, that Jesus is speaking about, referring to it is love. That we would love others, that we would love as we love God. As we speak about him, remember there's a, a portion of scripture that, they, that, the, that the Pharisees asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? That we see that it is not a geographic area that the person that lives next to you is that who our neighbor is, that people who come in contact with us, no matter where they come from, those are our neighbors. And God says the commandment is to love them. And God says that you would love them as I have loved you. And this is the commandment that he gives us. And this is how we should fulfill those commandments that we should love on them as he has loved us. So here in verse four, it says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him. And we see that John, once again, as he is speaking to the Gnostics here, as they thought that they could live a lifestyle of sin and still serve God. But John is saying, no. We must serve God and we must live a life of God as closely as we can. We can't live a perfect life, but we should live a life as closely as we can walking to Christ. We know that as Christians, we know that we can't live sinless, but because we are Christians, we should sin less. We should sin less. Go ahead, Chris. You know, it's, it's Yes, yes. But I really think this, when it really becomes serious, and I think that's kind of what this verse and the verse in the prior chapter is talking about, where we, we fall into habitual sin, where we say, you know, I'm, I, want, I like my life as a Christian, but I've got this, I've got this thing, you know, and I ain't giving it up. Yes. And and it, sometimes it's serious. It might be um, an affair with someone, you know, something like that. And we just we just go on. And I think that's what this is talking about, where it says, where we don't want our life gone because we want to go to church. We want people to still think of us. Mm-hmm. But down, we've got this thing in our closet. And yes. And uh, that's when we say, oh, yeah, I go, I go to church. Yeah, as, as I said, but underneath, I'm habitually doing what I know is wrong. Yes. And I, I don't know if that's No, no, and you're exactly right, Chris. This is exactly what it's talking about. This is not talking about us that we wake up in the morning and the thoughts that I tell you that I have. He's, he's talking about habitually sinning. We get up in the morning and he's talked about some of these sins, that the things that we know that, that, that don't line up with God's word, that we would habitually continue to do them and we would just come back. I grew up in a church that that was what they pretty much they preached. 
that you know what we could live you know the, the the from Monday through Saturday we could live the life we wanted we would just come back on Sunday and we'd just say okay well we just ask for forgiveness again but but nobody ever asked nobody ever asked the church and I never thought about this nobody ever asked well what happens if I die on a Wednesday what happens if I die on a Wednesday right right so this is the things that we need to be habitually, and this is like so the habitual sin, but something that we're caught in a sin. And yes, we're all going to sin, but these things are like I said though, and this is the reason why Pastor Ed always talks about keeping those, you know, those those short accounts with God that we would constantly come to Him, and we should come to God daily. And there's oftentimes I think that we have sin in our lives and we don't realize it, and that's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about habitually walking in the area of our lives. And and many of us, like I said, and as, as I talked about the guy that the story about the guy that yes, he was blatantly, and this is what he was doing. He was having an affair with someone in the church, and he would just continue to come. And this is the reason why they were asking him to leave and not to come back because they couldn't allow him. And the wife and his other children were actually coming to the church, and it was hard for that to go on. And so this is the reason why they're asking, but you're you're actually right. Let me just add one more thing. Hmm? I don't think habitual sin is the unforgivable sin. No, 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 absolutely not. I, I think that our relationship with God is, is very personal, and we in our hearts know that. And so people can fall into habitual sin, like the story that Mike told in the beginning, where the guy walked away, and mm-hmm. you know what? And God turned his back. Mm-hmm. Salvation necessarily. Yes. Now there are some people that will say, "By Lord, Lord," and he will say, "I didn't know you," but it's because they never really came to that personal relationship. Um, we all need, I, I think, and I think you would agree that we all need unforgivable sin as unbelievers. Yes, and, 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 and you know, it's interesting that you say that because I grew up in a church as well, and I'll share this with you tonight, and I think it's powerful, that, you know, one of the things they say, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is one of the unforgivable sins. And, and many people would come, and if people have come in the recent times, you know, as, as I have another Bible study, people would come and say, well, you know what, I, I said some things against God, and then so I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, so that means that I'm, for, I'm forgiven. It's like, no, that's not, that's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking the Lord's name in vain, those are not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is, is denying that, that what he did on the cross is 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 not, and so this is what uh, this is what uh, blasphemy of it. But we see that the Lord will will give us, uh, you know, that He is the God of hundred thousands, two thousand chances. That if it is, and none of us can say before us, we'll say we can never look at somebody and say, well, this person, like I said, though he died on a Wednesday, but he never he never uh, he never accepted Christ, so he he's that unforgivable sin. He he's going to go. We never know because at the very we learn from the thief on the cross. That it can be, and he didn't even have the right words. He didn't even belong, you know, as some churches would say, to the right denomination. He didn't even do anything, but he said he believed and he trusted in who Jesus was, who God was right before him. And this is one of the things, and as, I, as you pointed out, Chris, those those so powerful that we understand, though, that that blasphemy or, or that, you know, things before the Holy Spirit, that, that those are the things that, like you said, that does not keep us out of heaven. Those are the things that God is drawing us uh, closer and closer to him, that we would come. And, and there isn't anything, like you said, though, the heart of God, that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. This is his heart. None, nobody. And I know there's many of us in this room, and, that, and this is the reason why it's so powerful that we see that I think that many of us, we can all go out, and this is what I used to do before I became a believer. I used to go out, and people used to say, hey, you know, knock on the door. Hey, hey, brother, you know, you're, you're, you're not living the right way. You're not living the right way. But I would justify it. You know how? But I would look, I would drive around and I would see other people who are living worse than me and say, and I would say to myself, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. And that's how I would try to justify it. But as I, but if I use the right example, if I use the example before Christ, then I fall way short. 
And this is what this is what the Bible speaks about. I will. That's right. That's right. Nobody can pluck them out of. No one can pluck them out. Yes. And as as Chris spoke about, and I think it's powerful. And there's a reason why we're bringing this up tonight. I think it's so powerful that I am a firm believer that if you truly accept Christ in your life, that you accepted Christ and He are, is in His heart, you will never. He will never, like He said, though He. I don't believe that somebody can accept Christ at one time and then walk away from Christ. And yes, they can walk away and live a different lifestyle, but their salvation is still saved. Their salvation is still there. They still have salvation before God because they, they have that, that foundation that Christ is in their heart. And, and I know many of us as human beings, we look at their lives and we say, oh, no, 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 he's living the wrong way. But we're not the judge. We're not the judge. God knows people's heart. We don't, we don't have the, we, 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 can, we can speak to brothers and we can try to love them into the kingdom, but we can't look at them and say, oh, you know, this person is not living the right way. And I don't know about you guys. When anybody knocked on my door or anybody spoke to me when I saw met them out there and they told me that the lifestyle I was living was the wrong lifestyle that I was going to hell, that never that never made me think and say, you know what, oh, I, I should go with you. No, no, that, that always made me think that I don't want anything to do with you. It is the goodness of God that drew me to God. It was the goodness knowing that in my sins that while I was yet a sinner, that Christ died for me. Christ died for me while I was yet a sinner. And no, thank you so much for that, Chris. It is powerful tonight. As we get into here in verse 5, it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. You see, God, he, he works in many of our hearts and he works us from the inside out. And this comes from Ezekiel. And I know many of you know this, 36 verses 26 and 27. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your heart of stone. And, and flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and you will keep my judgments and do them. And this is the assurance that we are children of God. This is what God does. He rips out that heart of flesh and he gives us, he, he rips out that heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh that now we have that, 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 that heart is now pliable. It is pliable and God can come and he can mold us into where he's already wants us to be, where he called us to be. And, and you know, many times people look at this verse and, I, and very early when it says that he causes us to walk in his ways, that many times we say, oh, well, does that mean that I'm not going to be able to go to this place or I'm not going to be able to go to that place or I'm not going to be able to. Remember what we talked about earlier that we have been set free. But one of the things that we need to be reminded as Christians, that as Paul spoke about, that not all not all things in our lives are are will edify us. They they don't they, they we can go into areas of our lives, but we need to be very careful that how the things are looking. And many pastors have spoke about this. I love the way one pastor spoke about that. He um, he has a love for for drinking apple juice, but he says because of his witness, he'll never go outside of the house and drink apple juice outside of the house. And even in, in a restaurant, he said he never orders apple juice outside the restaurant because he doesn't want to create the impression that he would stumble somebody and say, oh, I see Pastor Pancho that he can he can he, he can drink. Why, why can't I drink? And so this is the things that we need to be uh, understand about the things of God, that these are the things that and, and not that, that one of those things, it doesn't say that alcohol, that, you know, having a drink, but he just doesn't want to create that impression that somebody that is struggling. And, the re, and that really spoke to me. And the reason why. I come from a family that struggled with alcoholism. And this is one of the things that, that my father struggled. He was an alcoholic his whole life. But one of the things that when we went to the church that we went to, when they would have gatherings, the Budweiser truck would be there. 
And he would say, and this is what really made him struggle, because when, when the family and everybody said that this life that you're living in, the alcohol and all the stuff that's not living is not right, he says, well, I want to go to the Jamaica at the church. Why? Because they had alcohol there. And he was a person that was, was a person that couldn't be around it. There's probably other brothers or other believers in Christ that could go and have one, and it would be all right to them. But he was somebody that couldn't have one, because one led to another and another and another and another. And, and that and that whole thing, and I have seen the effects of alcohol. They destroy, and don't let anybody tell you, they destroy families. They destroy us as believers. They destroy the, those commercials that you see on TV, that those beautiful people that are in those commercials, those are all a lie. I'm here to tell you they are a lie. They are a lie. They're, 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 those people are not living those bodies. They don't have those bodies by drinking what they drink. That's not what they drink. It's a lie. It's a lie. So here in verse 6 it says, But he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And this is what God has called many of us. And, and I think uh, uh, Chris is going to enjoy this tonight. As we walk, we know that we cannot walk perfectly as God. But we know that he was an example. But his example that he loved on others. He loved on others. Because us as believers, uh, one of the things that, that we see that we have done, uh, we see that um, as we have, uh, this comes from uh, Romans seven fifteen through 25. Um, and one of the things that we see that this is what, what he was speaking about is how come many of us that the, the, the things that we tell ourselves we ought not do, we find ourselves doing. And, and this is what, what, what happens to many of us. And this is what Paul was referring to, that oftentimes we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing, but we find ourselves not doing it. But this is the reason why Jesus came and he came and, and he is the perfect lamb of God. And he came to surrender his life upon our behalf. God, knowing that we could not live a perfect life, that he sent his perfect lamb of God, that if we would accept that perfect lamb, that our sins could be forgiven. This is the reason why he sent him. And, and so it's so powerful that we see that. Um, but as we, we always need to be reminded that we do have, we were born with this sin nature. We were born, right? Adam, as he, as he stumbled in the garden there and he ate of the tree of life, that sin came through one man. But we see that salvation came through Jesus Christ. That's one salvation came through Jesus Christ. And as we were, we have that sin nature in us, but we remember as we, as we were studying together, we remember that we have been given this godly nature, um, that also that it says here that having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Jesus Christ died so we would no longer be corrupted by the things of this world. And so we are to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. Amen, gentlemen? So, Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your love to us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the, as we speak about tonight, the gift of salvation. The gift that you give us so freely, Father. Um, knowing, Father, that you sent your son to die on a cross, Father, that it cost you everything, Father. Lord, as, as we've gathered here tonight, as people are online, Father, may they accept that gift, Father, knowing that your intentions for our lives, Father, you have a, you have a plan for our lives, Father, that, would, um, that we wouldn't even believe ourselves, Father. Lord, we ask, Lord, tonight that you would continue to do a work in our hearts, continue to do a work in our lives, Lord. Use us, each and every one of us here, Father. Use us for your glory. We pray all of these things tonight, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.